You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing, positive impact on their city and the world. Say and do things based on what was the right thing for either myself or the person I'm trying to help versus what was the right thing to say to get myself ahead, to seem safe. It's like That's not the right thing to say or do. Hence with music, only writing stuff that is pure. I like it when I come across people working on a number of different projects that from the outside look unrelated and disconnected. And then when I start to look a bit closer and get to know them a bit better, it becomes apparent that these things are actually related. That while nobody else would connect them, the fact that they are an authentic expression of this person makes the whole thing coherent. For this week's guest, expression through music, through creating an atypical Melbourne cafe, through working with Indigenous Australians and through speaking the truth for the greater good are some of the things he uniquely ties together. I'm Adam Murray, and thanks for joining me as I talk with Enford Jones on subtle disruption through authentic self-expression. So, uh, yeah, Enford, do you want to talk about where we're sitting for our conversation today? Ah, we're sitting in a local little cafe in Northcote um, called Kalimba. Kalimba is a little thumb piano. It's an African instrument. It's also known as a, a marimba, I believe. Have I said that correctly? Maybe not. I think so. Um, but basically, it's a pocket-sized instrument, and it's made of metal and wood, usually. And we decided when we were opening this little cafe, Kalimba, we call it this because this space is tiny, like a little pocket. <laughs> Um, it kind of looks like steel and wood. The instrument's vibrational, pleasantly vibrational. And that's what we were seeking with making this cafe, a pleasant, vibrational little pocket um, with, a, with an African touch to it. The kalimba's an African instrument. They believe the kalimba, well, most African instruments, the guitar, the kalimba also led to, they believe, the piano, and there's the research now that the piano might have first existed in Egypt, in Kemet, which yeah. is interesting. But from little simple ideas, or maybe from great ideas, a small pocket, uh, p- pockets of the world create these little simple, beautiful thoughts like kalimba or a flute, which yeah. you know, stick with holes and makes beautiful sounds. So um, it's a nice conversational piece because people often ask about. What's, it, what's kalimba mean? And I can tell them it's a pocket instrument basically from regions of Africa and it had an effect on the entire world of sound as we know it. And it's vibrational and beautiful and that's what we're going for with this cafe and touching with you know, Creole-inspired flavors. And that's where we are. We're here in this vibrational little pocket. And actually the, the building that was here before this apartment block that we're underneath was um, I'm not sure what the building itself was, but in the space we were in, there was some tenants who were friends of mine, and it was a music studio. And this sound desk and control room where they recorded was where the cafe is. And uh, that's part of the reason why I took the space, because I wanted to maintain the musical, artistic element here, and not have it lost to some people who didn't give a crap and used bad coffee (laughs) and same old, boring old, bland uh, recipe recipes and menus that everybody 
tends to use. Yeah. And unless you can do that on a higher level, what's the point? So we wanted to twist things a bit. And that's where we are. Very good. Yeah, and so I used to, as you know, just yeah. for everybody else's reference, I used to have one of the um, the townhouses that was built here, which we've just sold. The nicest townhouse. <laughs> the nicest townhouse. We never got to actually live in it, unfortunately, but it uh, took a bit longer to build than what we thought. Yeah. And, but I was always very intrigued about the cafe that was always on the plan for the mm. townhouses and who it was going to be. And um, then I saw your little sign pop up after a while and then watched you from a distance start to fit it out as well. Mm. And I guess my observations are that um, this, this isn't a typical Melbourne cafe. And I say that as a compliment as well. Oh, it there's a lot of... There's almost a formula now for Melbourne cafes with, you know, subway tiles and whites and blacks and woods and... I mean, we kind of got that, but not, not in the way that you're talking about. Like, there is woods. Yeah. There is blacks and there is some tiles in the kitchen, but you do need tiles in the kitchen. But I know <laughs> yeah, what you're you talking about. Yeah. I know exactly and, what you're saying. And like you say, the menu is uh, like no other cafe in Melbourne as well. Well, that I know of anyway. Yeah, well, we had a little philosophy when we were doing it because um, I love cafes like I'm a cafe fan I've written albums in cafes I've written so much stuff in cafes I've fallen in love with people in cafes literally that's the story of my life could be written around cafes yeah. so I'm a big cafe fan and, um, and when I was talking with Alice about the idea or oh, maybe we could do something somewhere I'd always talked about it even when I was just doing music and music was paying me really well I was always dreaming of having a cafe now I've got a cafe, I'm dreaming of doing music again, but <laughs> I always used to think, what do I love at cafes and what can I stand? And, you know, I'd eat a wrap and I'd be like, man, if I had a wrap, I'd want it to be like this. Or if I had breakfast, I wouldn't want it on toast. I can have toast at home, you know, I'd think about all this stuff. So we decided to try and implement that. And given the size of the kitchen, we can't take it as far as we would like to, but we've still taken it pretty far. You know, some people get mad at us because... We don't have toast, but I mean, we now have baguettes. We have that French influence from Alice's background. So we do have some baguettes. If worse comes to worse, I'd be like, oh, I'll toast some baguette for you. But um, doing things like savory buckwheat waffles and making it a French and Creole and a little bit Melbourne infusion. Mm. It's basically what me and Alice are. It's a French Creole Melbourne infusion. Australian infusion and that's what this space is yeah and that's probably why there isn't one like this because people like us there aren't many and those that are haven't done it and they will and you'll start seeing more and more things pop up and it growing you know you know it's like most African people people with African background would open up an African joint but I'm not just not trying to say just like it's no good but I'm not just African if my mother had met a six foot three solid Dutch or Danish or Swedish guy, let's say, and he almost, I could have come out with almost the exact same face, just maybe slightly different mouth, slightly different nose. The rest of it could have been pretty much the same, same build, just different skin. I'd be a different person. I might be connecting with my you know, Danish side a little bit, yeah. but instead I have this African culture and I love it. And if my father had met an African or a 
American or a Caribbean or Japanese woman or something. Be a whole different thing. But I am what I am, and I and I love all of it, and I, I love my. I love my my Anglo-Saxon background because it's like Northern English and it's a little bit Nordic, and uh, I like that we're not Southern. I like that we're not part of the Empire, <laughs> even though my family did some great things. But I love my mother's struggle and her journey and to f bring her to to London and to meet my father and and just everything about it. And um, I don't shy away from one side or favor one side. But African genetics are strong. I've realized, and they are strong, and you. I can't help but I do tend to I maybe a favorite or look to it more because I know less about it maybe if I'd grown up with it I'd go oh whatever mm. but maybe it's a nostalgic dreamy idea like the lover that you had that amazing affair with and you always wonder <laughs> it would have been perfect but if you actually had a relationship with them it might have sucked <laughs> yeah, that's you know? right. so yeah I'm always looking to discover more and add more of that yeah. side to things I do it calls in me though I can't help it yeah, you know, I was educated through school and everything, really, to shut that side down. But it just yells out too strong. It it it, it disrupts yeah. in the best of ways. Yeah. Um, I like what you. I kind of I really like what you're saying there about how this this cafe is just almost a natural infusion, or it, it's a fusion of yourself and your wife and your both of your different backgrounds and. It's almost like this, um, it couldn't be anything else if it was going to be an authentic expression of that. Mm. You know, this is just, this is who you are and it's, it's what you see as good taste and it's, uh, it's following that to... I don't know if it's all good taste. Some of it's a little <laughs> bit messy, but then so are we. Yeah. You know, if I, if I could see what, how to fix the messy things, then there wouldn't be. But my house is the same. It's all good there's that little bits of mess I'm like why is that always like that it's the same here you know I've got a fridge with stuff written on it look how bad my handwriting is that's how I write what do you want me to do about it that's that you know what I mean yeah the content's still great I'm doing what I can you know sometimes you just got to do that you just got to take a leap of faith I mean I've worked in cafes but I've never had one um, it's been awesome great experience yeah learning a lot learning a lot so you mentioned that you've written albums in cafes. You had and you had a, you know, you used to have a musical background, and that's why you were, mm. you were paid for being in music. Tell us a little bit about that for people who might not know. Ah, oh, um, well, I'd always done music as a kid. Just, just did it. Couldn't help it. I was always singing and thinking. And then came across hip hop records and all these young like black kids. And I grew up in the hills in Perth. Not, not very black. That's cool. But it just wasn't. Half of me was cool with that. The other half was like, this is weird. But, um, and then I came across hip hop and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I loved it and I just started rapping, rap, learning all the lyrics. It wasn't cool to be in hip hop yet. It was all about metal and rock and all that. But I just loved it, I didn't care. And started writing stuff when I was 10, 11, 12. Got pretty good, like pretty good by 16. And my brother had always had a little bit of music equipment. We had a friend, we'd catch a bus, two trains to get to his house and he had like a four track recorder and a mic and he was a DJ. This is when I was like 10, 11. Yeah. And we'd go and record, like it was what we did, that was our thing. So music was always, and um, finished high school, moved to Melbourne, got the train across the Nullarbor, and I was doing music with my bro, then I met this charismatic fella by the name of Jason, aka DJ Perrell, and uh, we started kicking it because he was hilarious. Um, 
he's still funny. He's not the same guy he was. He's not the guy I met. The guy I met was alive, excited, hilarious. The guy now is a little more mm, cautious and just, just not the same dude. I mean, I'm not the same dude. No mm. one's the same dude. But I, I loved that guy. I was like, this guy, I just got to hang out with this guy all the time. And we started kicking it a lot. And long story short, we wrote some, some music and some people liked it. We used to gig a lot because he was DJing. He'd always be like, oh, let's do some of our tracks. Come down, come down, come hang out. There'll be some drinks, there'll be some girls. You know, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll be there. Uh, this is like 18, 19, 20. And then we got signed to a little independent label called Rubber Records. We got signed, our group was called 1200 Techniques. And I um, knew some guys who were good at making videos, pulled everything together. First video and first song. I remember turning on a car on Triple J once and the song came on. I thought it was my friend's car. I was like, have you got my tape? <laughs> They're like, no. I was like, what the hell's this? Have you got this in your car? You know, it was the radio. It cleared my mind. And then, yeah, started touring, regurgitator supports, all these different things back in the days. And, and then we released a song, which was my favorite song, a song called Karma. My, one of my favorite people in the world who was this young genius, must have been 25 at the time, directed the video. It's all CGI and 3D animation. This is like back when it wasn't that advanced and you still look at it and it's amazing. The guys who did it all went on to have pretty good careers, like working visual effects. And yeah. yeah, that song just was nuts. We got fourth on the Triple J Hottest 100, toured, played all like three or four big day out tours, like year yeah, after year. Yeah, I saw you a big day out, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Such good times, man. I thought it was going to be forever, and it probably could have been, but I don't know, things change, characters change, you, you miss something, you go in a slightly different direction, and things go change and skew if I had this really strange and interesting life post all of that, and sometimes I wish it had kept going, but on the other hand, life is life, and you can't wish for things, you just got to do and be. But yeah, music was my thing. It's always been my thing, but Sometimes music pays me, and sometimes it just takes my money. You know <laughs> what I mean? So I figured that out, and I'm cool with that. And I still love making music and performing and helping young artists come up. But I had this opportunity to be here and do this cafe and spend more time and work out how to be with my little family and get a different balance and be less selfish. It's been really cool learning to be let, uh, to be unselfish. You don't know you're selfish. You should be selfish when you're your own, only your own person. It's natural because you're only thinking about yourself and mm. what you've got to do. But man, it's a change having, having kids and having to be with someone. Like, there'll be times when you're with someone and you're like, I'm out of this shit. Who cares? I can bounce. You can bounce. Even if you're married, you're like, no, I don't, I don't have to do this. But once you've got kids, that whole... Nah, it's like, wait a second, this is, I can't just bounce out. And you know there's, there's a good person there and you, and you love them or there's a good person within yourself that's worth loving or whatever. And, and I, I see where things happen, where relationships break. I see when my parents' relationship broke. I've heard all their stories, all their different conversations. So there'd be times I was at crossroads where I was about to make the same mistake my parents had told me about. I'm like, oh, that's that thing. So as shit as their relationship problems were, and as much as it sucked growing up without two parents, it was also really good because <laughs> I was able to go, oh, that's that fuck up about to happen, and go the other way, and it works. Oh, that's that fuck up about to happen, my language, but oh shit, I can go this way. 
Yeah. So far, so good. I'm sure I'll get to one and I won't realise the answer and I'll <laughs> stuff up. But who knows? But, um, yeah, life's a crazy journey. You know, life's a crazy journey. Having the kids has, has been special, especially with the cafe. I mean, I'm coming in and have that in their life. I had, my parents had a restaurant when I was a kid in London. And um, I was in London until I was nearly four. Yeah. I loved it. People, in fact, there was this big kitchen. Me and my brother would go downstairs because we lived above it. We'd go downstairs and steal ice cream at night. <laughs> loved it. So it's kind of nice to recreate that to a degree. Yeah, do your kids love it? Yeah. I have to remind them, like, as much as you think this is your spot, it's not your spot. It's yeah. the people sitting in here's spot. They're here. It's theirs right now. So stop being obnoxious and demanding lemonade and baby chinos and <laughs> food and crossing the line in the kitchen. <laughs> but I don't want to be too hard with them either. I think there's something really special about, for kids, about being able to see and be in the place where their parents work. I think, like I took my little boy to work with me on Friday actually and he just followed me around all day. He's only four and he did amazing. You know, he actually fell asleep halfway through the day as well. But the next, it's kind of like he, his chest was puffed out for the whole weekend and he was like, he was a bit taller and yeah. I love it, man. Oh man, the fact that you can take your boy to work with you, it's a good thing because always just want to hang out with their dads they love their moms they love their dads they want to hang out with their dads boys who don't like their dads it's because their dads didn't hang out with them enough that's the only reason it's true and the dads dads usually don't hang out with them enough because they had to work and they're like nah like all the dads who missed the football game every Saturday I've always put this analogy down kid like my dad never came he never came never came to a game but they never looked at it as my dad had could work Saturdays and make 200 bucks so for him not to come cost 200 bucks a game he wasn't prepared to pay 200 bucks a game for the greater good but the 200 bucks wasn't worth it because you fucked up your relationship with your son you know and it's hard to see that and balance that and so I've just accepted being poorer and tried to be where they need me to be more yeah I'll just be poorer it's fine I'll just be poorer it's cool I'll just have less I don't need much I don't need to eat that, that, and that. And, you know, I don't go to watch basketball and footy matches. I don't need my season tickets. I don't want to spend two hours watching someone else live their life. I don't go to the movies because I don't want to spend two hours watching a director direct DOP do his DOPing. I don't want to watch the grip do what he does. I don't want to watch the lighting person do what he does or the person who calls action do what he does. I don't want to watch the stage or the wardrobe manager do what they do. I don't want to watch what the catering people do what they do. I don't want to watch what their agents the booking agents and the insurance people do what they do, all the actors, for two hours. I don't want to watch you do what you do. I want to do me. So I don't spend much money anyway. <laughs> so I just be poorer and do things like look at clouds. It's fucking great with my kids next to me. It's yeah. great. I've learned to do that. Yeah. I think there's something that... <laughs> it's awesome. I think there's something we often tell ourselves. Well, parents I'm talking about when I'm saying we is that oh, our kids need this stuff that I I need this money so I can buy myself the things the kids will need and they're going to be they're going to have FOMO basically if I don't get them this stuff you know but it's a lie because actually what they want is just to hang out and look at the clouds and be man they don't care they do not care they only care if you make them care yeah be barefoot tell your kid nah barefoot's better you don't need those shoes (laughs) 
those kids with those shoes, it's because they're weak and their feet are weak and they need those shoes to make them feel stronger. But what really they need is barefoot. The strongest people are barefoot. You gotta be barefoot. You talk to them right and they'll be like, I'm, they'll say, I'm not weak, I'm barefoot. And they'll go for it. It's whatever you tell them. You know, I've got you the best shoes, honey. You're gonna be fine. You're gonna, you're gonna be great with your, the best shoes out there. And he's like, I've got the best shoes. And there's an attitude that the kid who doesn't have his good shoes is beating him. It's like, why? It's like, that's the wrong attitude. You don't mean to. You. That term spoiling your kid, it doesn't mean giving him too much. It literally means spoiling, like ruining. You don't mean to. You love him so much. You love him so much. You give him everything, anything. If they cry, you're like, oh, well, you, you can't. You gotta, it's got to hurt sometimes or else you actually literally spoil them, like mm. spoiling a cake, putting too much sugar and eggs in it. Yeah. Got to be really careful. Yeah. Do that way of living is is that something that's changed in you since you've had kids? Like, do you has or have you I always mean, had that kind of attitude? I've never had much, ever. Um, I've never needed much, but it's definitely become more concreted in me since having kids. What was good and what wasn't. Like, for example, I, I could live in a little shack place with nails sticking out here and there. I can't live like that now because I don't want my kids getting their arm hooked on a nail and yeah. cut. Like, that, that kind of stuff's changed. But as far as all the extracurricular comforts, nah, yeah, I'm more like, nah, you don't need much. Don't need much. The only thing I wish we had was an ocean right next door. Mm. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Can we do a kalimba on a beach? Yeah. Mm, that's what we're trying to figure out. <laughs> that's it. I'd love them to grow up by the ocean. And then they wouldn't need anything at all. You t- If a kid come home like, I need that, I'd be like, shut go look at the ocean. <laughs> oh, my friend's got the new sex, say got the new knit, go, go watch the ocean. Go surf, swim. I don't want to hear about it. Go walk on the sand. I don't want to hear about it. What do you need? Yeah. It's boring. Oh, it's boring. You're boring. If you can't find the sand in the ocean interesting, you're boring. You've got to have a look at yourself. Go sit in front of the mirror and look at yourself and ask yourself some questions. Here are some questions to ask yourself <laughs> and answer them and write them down. I'm that dad. Do what tells me the ocean or a fire or the sky is boring has a problem. Or I'll go and hit them with some really hard... I even do it now. I hit them with some crazy theory. Did you know? You know, whatever it'll be. Yeah. It just depends. And just watch their minds spin out. Like, have a think about it. Yeah, walk away. <laughs> it's good for them. Just thinking about this cafe. Again, like, <laughs> Such a weird dude, sorry. Such I love a weird it. dude. <laughs> what... So in this space, is there yeah. a, is there an intention about what you're trying to create here in terms of that vibe or those vibrations? Intention or intention? Intention, yeah. Like, what are you you know what uh, are you hoping for people that come in here? The only intention, really, is that I have the flag. Everything else would be intention, but um, and even the flag wasn't really that intentional, in the sense that everything that has intention would be subconscious intention. It's just doing what I do, yeah. not trying to do what I think people want other than give them something really nice and tasty that's um, not like they normally have, but I know they're going to enjoy it if they try it. With the Indigenous flag, I mean, we put that up on Australia Day last year. Yeah. And then I thought, well, 
I'm not taking it down. I can't take that down. I just put it up. So I just left it up. And for me, it's like, I'm not indigenous. Um, my, answer, my mother's family weren't here when all that happened. My African side weren't here when all that happened. But you know what? I benefit from it. So I at least got to let them know I acknowledge them and I see them. And, you know, you know it's a hard one. But at least, look, um, I'm, I'm showing you and I mean it. Because, no, I don't see any other cafes with the indigenous flag in the window. You know, or they're worried about it might offend some people. Well, those people, I don't want them in here anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's the most beautiful flag in the world. I can't think of a flag more beautiful than that one. Like, I'm not just saying that. What flag's more beautiful than that? Yeah, I agree. The sky, the blood, the earth, the sun. I mean, to me, that's the indigenous flag of the world. All indigenous people. And I'm talking English indigenous even. If people can remember their roots before the empire moved there and took them over. All, all indigenous people from all different parts, whether they're from Scotland or Ireland or from parts of Italy or Greece or uh, regions of France and all the way through the Middle East and through Asia, your indigenous culture, who you were, it's, that's, to me is that what that flag is. It's the most beautiful flag. I feel like it's the world flag. If I had to put up a flag for planet Earth to do the rep best representative to make sure aliens thought we were okay, <laughs> I would put that up and hope we could back it. <laughs> <laughs> Because at the moment, like, it's really the Union Jack is... Union Jack's an amazing-looking flag. That's a kick-ass design. But there's so much division and confusion going on. Yeah. Whereas this flag, it's just actually all coming together. Yeah. I love it. But um, back to your question, I mean, yeah, there's, there is intent. Like, we didn't, for example, we didn't want to have Coca-Cola in here. Yeah. And eventually we thought, you know, there's too many people who just want a Coke. So I said to Alice, I bet if we get Coca-Cola in here, we'll sell more Karma Cola, more of the organic one. And it's actually what's happened. Really? Because people go, oh, oh, I'll grab that. <laughs> yeah, it's really <laughs> it's, interesting. It's the bait. It's yeah, the, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, for example, having organic colas, you know, the organic coconut and apple and orange, all that. It's also because my kids come in here and they're going to want what's in the fridge. I don't want them drinking hell water, hell soda. So yeah, there's intention in that sense. Intention in that we use Rumble coffee, and I love what Rumble do. I think, I mean, I've had a lot of coffee, and I know a lot of different companies, and I've been around a lot of roasters. I've been in so many cafes, and there's some really good coffee in Australia, in general, in Melbourne. I mean, I've made coffee interstate. I've made coffee in the states, in London, in France. I've roasted in France with crews. I'm not a roaster, but I was helping and learning. But Rumble, man, they're on something. I don't know what those guys are on, but they're on some, on some next level. They make some amazing coffee, like what they're doing. Um, so when we were opening, we had the opportunity to work with other companies that were really good and could give us a coffee machine, umbrellas, all kinds of stuff that in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I could have done with a free coffee machine and some free umbrellas. But we were more intent on, we feel like these guys are the future. Their, their flavor profile is just insane. They have an ethic that matches what we're about. Yeah. We'll, we'll not take the freebies and we'll put our own money in and own ourselves, own our choices. And Rumble are taking over. Like everybody's starting to now buy Rumble. Are they really? Yeah. It's really happening. And I'm like, you were 
and they're really good people. Are they from Australia? Australia yeah, Melbourne yeah. boys. Yeah. Oh, a couple of Kiwi boys, but they've all been in Melbourne ages. One of the guys I actually learnt to make coffee from when I was 20 yeah. at a cafe over in St Kilda we worked at. So like in that kind of sense, yeah, there's intent. We always try and provide nice qualities. So it's a little offensive when people complain about something. Like, I don't know. Whatever. Waffles. And like, Go have toast somewhere. <laughs> like, I'm really trying to provide something awesome and different. Like, why are you so upset about it? I have a baguette. <laughs> but there is intent, yeah. yeah. There's things in here we don't like. Yeah, there's some things I want to get rid of. Uh, I know customers like some stuff, so it's like, ah, oh, the customers like it though. I can't stand it. What do you do? Yeah, it's that. It is a bit of a balance, isn't it? Because you want, you do need to keep the the money coming in and keep some customers happy, but you also want to stay true to what you are, who you are, and what you want to create here as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe um, I'm wrong, but I feel like, I feel like, it's like music. You can give people. I don't understand the music industry. There's some really bad music people buy it it's bad it's not even good it's bad uh, sonically it might some of it sonically is even bad some of it sonically is amazing it's like well the beats hot and the vocals sound good if you listen to them they're terrible if you, they sound good some of it's terrible all around and it works so in my mind I'm like how do you get these people to start turning to better music how do you get their ear to hear what's going on because some people can't and I think like with food culture and choices of milks and what have you or whatever it's like how do, you, how do you get these people to realize that this is better and more enjoyable and better quality and good for them but how do I, how do I get them there maybe they just don't care or that's not what's there where their interests lie yeah so I you know that's always the goal is to try and help people lift but you know you, you can't be trying to act like you're some good shepherd all the time you just just a guy with a coffee shop at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But it's interesting. We have some really interesting encounters. In here? Yeah. yeah. I think I can make a TV skit show out of it. Yeah. I really do. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Can you talk about any of them? Can you talk about one of them? No, it's hard to do it because you, you actually need to have a camera and reenact for it to make sense. Yeah. It makes sense because it, it, it takes it takes all the senses. Yeah, you know. But people do some strange things. Like uh, sometimes people be impatient in here. Like they order something and they want it with the one chef kitchen. You know what I mean? And I'm sure if they go to my boy John, and they go to Fifteen Pound, his place. I'm sure, and that place is amazing. It's not a big kitchen, but they have like a couple of chefs, and a whole crew running it, five or six floor stuff. I'm sure they would wait there 15, 20 minutes there. So why do they get mad at 10 minutes here? Like, why do I have to cop it when we have to work triple speed? Yeah. You know what I mean? That kind of, that kind of thing gets to me a little bit. Like, we're, we're, we're making it happen. Just slow down. Just be still for a minute, you know? Yeah. Um, but I've had people come in and just sort of do weird things, look up, left and down, and look all over the place, looking at the ceiling. And I'm like, are you okay? And they're like, have you got a menu? I'm like, yeah, it's not on the ceiling. <laughs> you just talk to me. I'm here. Like, here's the menu. We have, when they start walking off, and I'm like trying to tell them there's baguettes, and when they come back, oh, I just want a cheese toast. I'm having cheese toast. I'm like, I was trying to tell you there's um, 
and the cheese baguettes here on the wall written, as you can see. It's like, man, like, why are you so rude? Jeez, I've, I've never been like that at a cafe. I just wouldn't do that. Yeah. I don't get it. I know you can be in a bad mood and not be talkative, and I get all that, but how do they know I don't have temper problems? You know what I mean? How do they know I'm not nuts? <laughs> Alice is the one that's nuts. Ooh. She would, oh man, she would fly kick for some people if she did. <laughs> she's so sweet looking, but she's like, I will fly kick him. In she, could, she could fly kick someone too, actually. That's the scary part. Yeah. 5'11 <laughs> and flying kick coming at you. <laughs> but, no, but nothing too bad. Just, it's just when that stuff happens, it's, it's always a shock. I heard something like, if you had, I can't remember the number, but let's say $80,000 and someone took, um, how does it work? If, if you had 80000 and someone took $60 from like, Something like that, 80,000 maybe? It was more. I can't remember the exact correlation in numbers. If my math was better, I could tell you quickly. But let's say 80,000 and you realize $60 was missing. Would you would ruin you? Would you carry on about it for days and weeks? Or would you be like, oh well, still got 79,000, you know, and so on. And, uh, and you go, okay, no, I probably wouldn't. So if you have 80,000 seconds, why would you let 60 seconds? 30 seconds or 10 seconds ruin your day yeah and that's what I always just think by you know don't let that one silly person's complaint bother you yeah who knows what they were going through that day yeah exactly exactly and often it's the last thing that happened is the one that sticks in our mind too mm. like if it happens just well, before you close the cafe the last thing or just that yeah or just that one thing it's the same with music you you're singing your heart out, you're doing all you can, and someone's like, this song sucks. It's like, oh, let, let me see, you write a song, you want to get up at your chair, and artists do it. They get off stage and punch your dude's head in. Because it's like, this is sensitive to me, I put my everything into this. And it's the same with the cafe, but then you got to go, wait, you are putting yourself in that position. Yeah. It's okay. It's all right. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. So you mentioned that now, you're starting to think about music again and maybe getting back into music more seriously. Is that, is that something that's on the cards for you? Do you think that will... Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm always seriously in music, but whether what I'm doing is the right thing to be doing at that moment in time is another thing. Yeah. Music is like... Music's like trying to sail a boat without a sail but you're relying on the tides and if you're trying to sail and you sail or you have a sail and it's blow, you're trying to go one way but the wind's blowing the other or the tides are going a different way and you're not doing it correct you're just not going to get there it's all about everything happening because it's supposed to it's the way music works yeah. it happens because it's supposed to and because there's a, a natural movement happening in it whether that natural movement is there's a really crappy system by a major label with loads of money and these are the producers and it's working but we have to spend millions but it's going to work and we can use 10 artists and if one works it's still going to make profit like for them the artists think it's about them but it's not about them it's about this industry if it works for the industry that's fine all right that's cool but i'm not i'm not that guy with music it's about has to be about creating an, an honest sound space in an honest creative space where 
whatever you do, if you fail, it's okay because you loved writing the songs. Jim Carrey said, you know, his father failed at something he didn't even want to do. He mm. never tried doing the thing he wanted. Yeah. Which is way worse. Yeah. Amazing talk, isn't it? Have you ever seen that? I haven't. He does it like university, you got an honors, honorary and honors degree, whatever it's called, when they give them. Yeah. And it was amazing talk. And I thought, oh, yeah. So a lot of stuff I've done, I've been just trying to do the forcing it a bit to please people or to work with people that I thought I should be because they wanted to but it wasn't it wasn't right it would have been better off just being still and looking at clouds and waiting but lately I've been feeling um, feeling a, a feeling a need and trying to only do stuff based around that concept um, not trying to use my voice in any ways other than what is completely natural uh, being, being comfortable with the fragility and frailty sometimes of my tone and voice when I sing. I, I want to sound big and strong, but I'm actually who I am on the inside and it comes out in my vocals. Yeah. And I, I'm actually quite meek and there's strength through the... The strength is in that I'm very meek, I'm very tender, I'm very shy, but I, I push through that and give strength. And that, that's the strength that comes through in the sound of what I do. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. That, that's okay, it's alright to be like that. Don't feel like you have to be huge and all powerful because you're just not him, but you're just not, bruh. You're just not that guy. <laughs> That's someone else. Um, and recently, since getting some nice proper equipment, I've never actually had my own equipment. I've always worked in projects where someone else had it, so it was always at their house, their time, their requirements. Now I'm just doing stuff I feel like. Um, whether anything decent comes of it that gives me an income or not, it's another thing. But um, it's a step towards this idea I have for a project uh, called Cool Out Sun, which is something I really want to do quite seriously um, on a sort of more world level. And that's, that's, that's the goal. And what I'm doing right now is a step towards, towards Cool Out Sun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exciting. It's fun. It's actually an idea and a direction versus just let's just make some tunes and see what happens. Yeah. Which one sounds the best? Let's release that. This time it's different. And the cafe has given me a lot of that stability of thought of why and what's the point. And obviously, as you know, with children, it's time is different. It's like, well, what am I prepared to spend my time doing if it's not looking at my child constantly? Yeah. Because I could just do that. Why am I here? I could just be at home staring at my child, just looking at it. There's nothing better than that for me. So I just watch. I get to sleep, I can just sit there and watch them and listen to them breathe. So why am I going to come around and do this? Why am I going to go do that? It's pretty awesome on that level. You know, and whatever you're prepared to sacrifice, you know. Especially if you're in a circumstance like, like my parents and a lot of people where you know, you're separated from, the, from your partner. Well, I don't necessarily get as much time as I want, so when I have the time, you got to give me a really good reason, you know? So I already live like as if that's my reality yeah. all that, all the time, yeah. so I don't have that because it's just how I, I, I live. So anytime I'm not with them at home, like even now being here, it's like, oh, this is beautiful, I want to share this, that's okay. Yeah. I think they're sleeping now. <laughs> so, yeah, but time and use of time has really changed since, since having children. Yeah. Yeah, and creating my own economy and little prison, let's say, of this place. Um, 
it's like being here all the time. It's, it's so much better than being, for me, in a cafe environment to being working for someone and being in their dream. Yeah. I'm like, oh, at least I'm in mine. If I'm going to be somewhere all day. Yeah. So many of those things that you're talking about really ring true for me. Oh. Um, just in use of time and, and also just, oh, I remember um, my first job actually, I was in a consulting company and there was this guy there called Michael Forbes and he was going to be an AFL umpire. So he was oh, really? training to be an umpire and he was, but he was an IT guy as well. He's a really super fit guy and he just used to wear, and I was pretty like concerned about my suits and my ties and my shirts back then. And, but he just used to wear like the daggiest stuff and like bad ties and bad combos. And I'd kind of look at him and I'd ask him about it. It's like, what's going on? He's like, you know what, life's just too short to not show up to work as myself. It's just too short. And it, it didn't make sense to me at that time. I didn't quite get it. And I think now I do get it. You know, interestingly, um, he, so he actually had a bicycle accident and became a, um, a quadriplegic as well. And Damn. I think those two, like just remembering him saying that and just, you know, he's, he's, he's doing amazing things now, amazing things now. But it, it's only now as a 30, you know, 38 year old and, and some other things that have happened in my life that, you know, how I spend my time and the thing I work on and who I'm with, uh, that it's be, just become so much more pertinent and, uh, and important. Yeah. 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 You know, it's amazing. A lot of people don't ever realize it or realize it when they're almost gone. If you can realize these things younger, the younger you learn, the more fulfilling your life is because you have more time understanding this. Yeah. And, you know, there will be people who just never figured that out. And then they can't teach it to their kids. Like, if you can figure that out, understand it, and pass that on, man, you, you've already won. You don't have to worry about it. Your whole thing is, now, how do I pass this understanding on? Yeah. Man, try and talk it, try and talk it. Are they going to get it? But as long as you actually get to that point, a lot of folk might think it and then forget it all the time. And then, like, after 10 minutes, go, oh, yeah, that's right. You just got to almost write this stuff down and read it every day. Like, that's right, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yep, yeah, cool. Yeah. Got to do it because I keep forgetting. So why do you, why do you think people started writing? Yeah. In Africa, when they were writing, I think that's where the first parchments are from, they would write stuff that was just like, we can't forget that one. Like, I can remember most stuff, but this stuff needs to be written down. Yeah. You know, you, you write Ten Commandments. There was actually 42 negative confessions Ten Commandments come from whole thing about Moses discovering to, it's a bit ridiculous because he already knew the 42 negative confessions because he had studied in Kemet, Egypt and knew them and then just picked 10 instead of saying I will not the negative confessions are I have not <laughs> he just flipped it anyway, that's a whole other thing he might have had an enlightened moment and had to break it to 10 and keep it simple and go look at least do these 10 everybody You know that could have been his case yeah. if he was around, if it was real could have been, I haven't seen a grave of his get all the Egyptian kings and kind of god kings they all have graves so it's a weird thing when you start talking to that whole world but let's just talk to keep it simple sometimes you just need to write down 10 those 10 things yeah to try and remember and well, you might forget for a long time I have a few that I tell myself every morning but um, 
I don't want to keep you from your kids for too long. Oh, so let's okay. we've got a we've got a um a couple of questions that I have as we just start to wrap up as yeah, well. Cool. The first one's about um, so something that you daydream about that you're not actually part of disrupting right now and that you would like to be part of. So maybe it's oh. maybe it's outside of cafes and outside of music, but just something that, you know, bubbles away in the back of your mind and like, yeah, yeah I'd you love to be part of that. I mean, I like disrupting subtly all the time. My whole, I'm a, my whole life has been that. Not being what people thought I was. And that disrupts them massively. It's cool. <laughs> um, I'm not, yeah, I'm abs- I'm always feel like I'm not what people think I'm going to be. And I like that. Um, something, recently I was out in Kakarinji, in, um, it's in Northern Territory, it's like Wave Hill, where there was the walk off 50 years ago, Yeah. and uh, we were out there for the 50 year anniversary, and I played, I brought my friends Remy and Sensible Jay out, they're doing really well musically, I've been cool to have been a part of their journey and help them in certain ways, I mean they're, they're reaching heights, heights I've reached, but um, been a long time since, but they're reaching new heights as well. Yeah, and heights I dream of reaching again. But um, they're my boys, and to take them out there and engage them in that environment that I grew up quite a lot in in Perth, I mean, high indigenous population where I lived, it was all common. I used to play a lot of indigenous like sports things. My mate would say, "I'll just say you're my cousin," and this and that. And yeah. I'd go and I, I, I got to be in a lot of places and houses people wouldn't have because of my way of being and thinking. Like, I used to ride my house around and go to everybody's house. Yeah. Jimmy, who didn't like James, but I'd be at both of their houses. <laughs> yeah. I don't get why they don't like each other, whatever, I'd just ride around. But something in Australia, at least, I'm, I'm annoyed at myself that I haven't been doing more work in, with indigenous youth, adults, whoever, just with um, my perspective, based on growing up being a complete island, I was never indigenous. There were no African kids around when I was a kid, so I didn't have that. So I wasn't indigenous, but I was a brown kid. I had a flat top and lines on my head. And I looked a bit like guys on video hits, but I wasn't there. I wasn't a white kid, but my mum was white and all my cousins were, and I saw them not as white people, they were just my family. I never looked at white people, I was white. It was only later I had to kind of figure that out. Oh, okay, shit, I have to, not everybody's the same, that's really weird. In fact, I found look, seeing like Africans was more weird to me because I'd never had them. And I'm like, wait, that's, oh, shit, that's my, yeah, that's my other side. <laughs> cool, it was, it's, that's shit, but that's how it was. Yeah. But when I was around the indigenous kids, I, um, they used to just blow my mind with their ability, their intelligence, their smarts. But it always used to just trip me out how disrupted they were and therefore considered disruptive, but they were disrupted. And because they were disrupted, did not, just couldn't click in with what was going on, they were considered disruptive. They weren't. They were just too smart to be in school. Way too smart. They needed to be doing other things. Their brains are so developed, but the idea of just sitting in a box, and it was just so full on. Yeah. You know, you're talking about people who have been around for so long, that, and by the age of four, most kids, and this, is, this was talked to me by uh, a ranger at the rainforest up in the Daintree explained this and said, by four, most children knew at least 2,000 flora and fauna types 
more than most botanists will ever learn. Yeah. They knew this, 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 and I'm like, picture this amount of brain ability in someone being taught who sailed a ship and one plus one. Uh, these kids are like ready to go, and they're getting none of it. Yeah. None of it. Absolutely, just losing their minds. Plus all the disruption from culturally and family circumstances and stolen generations, all this stuff going on. It's just full on. And I, I always, and, you know, I've done workshops, youth workshops, um, all gone out to youth detention centers. And I always find when I'm engaging indigenous kids, especially like when I was up, out in the desert, these kids are just gorgeous and beautiful. But I, I feel like I, w I have something to tell them, something to share with them, but at the same time I get this fear of, whoa, who am I? What do I say? What do I do? I, I feel like I can sit from the outside, kind of because I feel, having been so alone, I've been able to watch and study all these cultures around me. I'd like to give more and subtly disrupt um, this, I feel this cycle that I watch, because I, I just love them so much. I see this cycle, I see it everywhere I go though, whether I'm in the States or I get to England and I'm working with youth kids there, Whoever's, whoever I see is the, the youth that need help. And it might be like Aussie kids too, but I guess I just feel more indebted to Indigenous Australians for some reason. I guess because I live here on their land and they never said I could, but they've a lot of welcomed me and said welcome. But I always feel like I wish I could give more. I'd like to subtly disrupt the whole psychology that's being pushed mm. in their culture what they should be and this and that. It's like, nah, the whole way it's being done is thought of incorrectly. Being, they look, a lot of them seeing themselves wrong, seeing each other wrong. And those that are seeing it right are usually not, they're in there doing beautiful jobs, but it's never prominent enough. I wish I could somehow disrupt massively, actually, a lot of the culture of Australia. The way a lot of people see each other the misunderstanding because people didn't spend time in all those houses that I spent time in. So that's pretty pretty hard for me to have an argument with people unless they're just absolute bozos and like they can't hear. I'm like, I can't even talk to you, I'm just going to go. But I'd like to disrupt that a little, help them see and realize like, you know, your, your circumstances and, or your whatever anyone says about you or this or that, it's actually because you're you, you, your brain is need, needs way more. You know, I was talking to a friend about when I was at school, a lot of the um, troublemakers at school, I realized I got them to be like captains of, like when I was an athletics captain, I got them to sort of be leaders in my group. They're good athletes, a lot of these kids, not just indigenous kids, like Aussie kids, different kids, different kind of mixes. I always pick the troublemakers and go, hey, can I get you to be this or that? Because I realized most troublemakers are frustrated leaders. <laughs> We're just, bored of being told what to do by someone who isn't telling them right. Yeah. So, um, but I don't know if that's really answered your question. No, that's on a tangent, But yeah. I'd like to subtly disrupt that. Yeah. There's a lot I'd like to do. You know, if there's a lot. There's a lot I'd like to do. I just don't know how to go about it. I'm not quite smart enough. I just have the ideas and the feeling. Yeah. One thing at a time. Yeah. Mm. Um, I feel like I subtly disrupted Australia's music industry. Well, I sort of kicked it, kicked my, kicked it in the face yeah. back in my time at 1200s and helped 
I always consider 1200 techniques the bridge. I think someone was even saying it to me. You were like the bridge from what was happening abroad and this idea of local Aussie or Australian hip hop. We were like the bridge that allowed everyone to walk over by being this weird half half of everything band at this different sound. But I like to think we're a bridge that's continued for like like my boy Ren looks at me and he's like, yeah, you were doing this back then. I can, I can do this, I'm not alone. And he, he's taken it further ver verbally with what he's talking about, what he's trying to see and put into action. And I love that, you know, helping build courage. I'd like to subtly disrupt and help people have more courage. Yeah. That's, I guess, my, out my outcome. That's good. What I'd like to do is help build more courage and people that have it in there, but they're almost afraid of their own ability and strength. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I love that flag. <laughs> I can't stop looking at it. Every day I look at it and I just feel better. I got one more question for you. Sorry, yeah. And it's about yourself and about. So the podcast is called Subtle Disruptors, as we've talked about, but it's, it's also about. Well, it's really about the small things that all of us can do that can have a big impact. And so the question is about something small that you've done in your own life or something that you changed in your own life that had a, a big impact or, you know, got you going on this journey or sustains you on this journey, but, a, you know, a small change that might be interesting for other people to hear about. Um, well, that's tricky. Um, there's probably lots of little things. I found for other people, like, um, I had one friend who was very successful, and there was a couple of people around him when he was starting to really start getting his success. I remember saying to him, I'm not sure about that guy. I feel like he's not real. I feel like he wants what you are. Please be careful. And he listened. I remember later that day he said, Can you always tell me when you think that stuff? Because no one tells me anything. Everyone just feels like I'm fine, you know, and um, well, certain things, there'd be other things I'd get in his face about, and I could have said nothing to not create that, because he might have turned around and been like, piss off, you know, I don't need your opinion, I'm kicking it now, piss off, and I'd have been like, you know what, that sucks, because I love you, but fine, if that's where you're at, I'm gone, it's okay, but I, I'll still be watching it, because I care, and I'll I'll come around every now and then, change your mind, you know, but he wasn't, he was like, please keep it up. It was that not being afraid of losing them by being honest and caring about them. Um, I think learning to not be trying, and I kind of forgot that for a period, I kind of lost myself for a few years due to other things, but I forgot to always say and do things based on what was the right thing for either myself or the person I'm trying to help versus what was the right thing to say to get myself ahead to seem safe. That's not the right thing to say or do. Hence with music, only writing stuff that is pure or uh, having you know, certain beliefs. So I think if, if you can lose that selfishness and that fear to not be courageous and to be courageous in the sense of not being afraid of 
being left out because you were honest and cared and said what needed to be said for the greater good. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests. You can get me on email through adam at subtledisruptors.com. And if you enjoyed listening and would like to be part of getting the word out about the Subtle Disruptors of Melbourne, a great way to do this is through jumping into iTunes and rating and reviewing this podcast. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own subtle disruption. Bye for now.